second reading in the Gospel according to Matthew and at chapter 6 and verses 31 and 32. Matthew 6, verses 31 and 32. Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. Amen. Portion of scripture we read, and therefore our text belong in that great sermon preached by Christ, which we refer to as the Sermon on the Mount. At the beginning, in chapter 5, we learn that Christ, seeing the multitudes, went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them. And so we have a picture there of the scene. Christ has gone up into a lofty place so that he can proclaim God's word to those who are gathered a little below. And multitudes are there. This was early on in our Lord's public ministry. And he enjoyed popularity at that time. Crowds gathered wherever he went. Uh, for the most part, perhaps to see some miracle wrought by the Lord. Uh, some eager to hear what he had to say. And we're told that the disciples were there. They came unto him. And what Christ is saying is principally for the disciples. But it is in the hearing of the multitudes. And you could see the church there. There are those who are the professing people of God. They're followers. They are eager for the knowledge Christ has to impart. And they desire to be in his presence. And indeed to be sitting at his feet and learning from him. But there are others there, and as yet they cannot say that they are Christians. They would like to be, perhaps, but they cannot speak of the saving change in their lives. And there is a yearning there, perhaps, to experience what they see in the Lord's people. And so the words that Christ has to say in this sermon are for believers, but they also have great relevance for those who as yet cannot say they are the Lord's. And how we pray for them, that in God's time and by his grace, they would come to know the blessing of salvation in Christ. Well, the sermon has a lot to teach us about what a Christian is and how a Christian should live. And that really is the burden of the passage we read and of our text. And what we learn here is that God is a father to his people 
And as a father to his children, he provides all their need. And we should take encouragement with regard to this truth. So much of the experience of life causes us to have doubts and even fears. And that may be even in the strongest Christian at times. Our faith can become weak. Many challenges to it. And we're not as diligent as we should be. We're not in the word. We're not at the throne of grace as we should be. But the Lord is our God. And he is our Father. And he deals in a kindly way. And we're not forgotten. And the Lord will hold up our goings. And the Lord will keep us unto life eternal. First thing we shall consider with God's help is this. Anxious disciples. Anxious disciples. That is implied in verse 31. Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or wherewithal shall we be clothed. Take no thought. Christ is bidding the disciples not to be anxious. In being anxious, they were being like the world. And this phrase, take no thought, occurs several times in the passage we read in verse 25. Take no thought for your life. And then at the end of the chapter, take therefore no thought for the morrow. Yet we do. We have to acknowledge that before the Lord. There are these concerns, and they may weigh very heavily upon us at times, if not necessarily for ourselves, then for our loved ones. And while we're in this world, this will be how we are in some measure. But our need is to be coming to the Lord for his grace, that our hearts may be still, that we will know with conviction that the promises of God are yea and amen in Christ Jesus. Take no thought. Christ addressed these words to the disciples because they needed to hear these words. Take no thought does not mean that Christians are exempt from labor and toil to enjoy a life of idleness. That was not the example of our Lord himself. It means that Christians should not have thoughts that deflect them from following Christ and serving God. They should not allow their minds to be so possessed with those things that may distract and divert that they take their hearts and minds away from the Lord, their eyes are no longer fixed upon Jesus Christ, 
they're taken up with their worldly concerns. In the spirit of faith, to entrust our cares unto God as our heavenly Father. To believe that he is a Father to us. Ready as well as able to help us in every time of need. And Christians should not be possessed with thoughts and streams of thoughts that indicate worry. To worry is really the opposite of to trust in God. And the rebuke is there even for the disciples, O ye of little faith. To have saving faith is to have everything. Because if we have saving faith, we have Christ. And if we have Christ, we have heaven. But to have a strong faith, a faith that rolls every difficulty upon the Lord who is well able to bear those difficulties. To have a faith that is exercised in that dependency upon God which is proper for us as creatures and proper for us as Christians is to have much spiritual comfort in this world. We have many blessings today in terms of earthly comforts and we should be thankful to God for these things. Our lives compared to former generations are free from much of the toil that our forefathers and others had to engage in and we have comforts aplenty. But to trust in God is the great thing. And the more we enjoy this worldly wealth and this world's good, perhaps we are less inclined to trust in God. Everything seems to be to hand. It's there on a plate for us. And we're forgetting that God may soon, even in an instant, withdraw these things from us. And what would we have then? Well, we should be left with God. And that in many ways can be a blessing. If we're reduced through poverty or even through sickness, the Lord being in it, there are lessons to be learned from him and lessons that will stand us in good stead for the future. To trust in God is the great need that we have and when we trust in God, then the needs that we think we have will become less of a burden and less of a worry to us. There should be no thoughts that would indicate a distrust or a doubt in God's promised provision for us. The earth is the Lord's and all it contains. The cattle upon a thousand hills are his. And there's no lack 
in his fatherly provision for those who put their trust and their confidence in him. And the Bible reasons this way. If God has done for his people the greatest thing, and he has, and that thing is salvation in Jesus Christ, if God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, even to the death of the cross, to save his people from their sins, how will he not also with Christ give us all other things, all the things we need while we remain in this world? He's given the greater, he will surely give the lesser. And there is a wisdom in God's provision. Very often he will not give his people all at once, or a surfeit, an excess of this world's good. He will have them in constant dependence upon himself, in the exercise of trust, calling upon him in prayer, asking for the daily bread he has promised to give, because he gives it daily, and we should be asking him daily for it, like the Israelites in the wilderness, with the manna coming down from heaven. It was there in the morning with the Jew, and they would go out each morning to gather it. And it was sufficient just for the one day, except uh, there was uh, a provision made on the sixth day to take care of the needs on the Sabbath. Oh, how the Jews lacked in faith. Israel, murmuring and complaining, looking back into Egypt, and what they had there of earthly prosperity, forgetting their troubles and the oppression, thinking it would be better for them to be there. But there in the wilderness, God was with them, and God was providing their every need. So we have a, a gentle rebuke from the Lord to anxious disciples. Take no thought about what you eat or drink or what you will wear. God will give it to you and you trust in him and he will provide all that you need in his time and in his way. Anxious disciples and then worldly Gentiles. Immediately Christ says in verse 32, for after all these things, the things that you are concerned about and worried about, do the Gentiles seek? The unbelieving and the ungodly, that is how they are. You should not be like them. The Gentiles served mammon, the world, and the disciples were not to serve mammon because you cannot serve God and mammon. In serving God, you renounce the world, this present evil world, and worldly ambition and worldly praise 
and you go with Christ, and you go with him outside the camp, and you bear his reproach, and that is an honor, that is a blessing, to be on the side of Christ, even with the world against you, because you know that the world was against Christ. And as Christ said to the disciples, marvel not if the world hates you. It hated me before it hated you. And these poor Gentiles, well, they knew nothing of the true and living God. They served idols, not the Lord. They were hardly aware that they had souls, that they would exist forever, that they were in need of salvation. They were just slaves to whatever religion belonged to their culture, not knowing that they had a soul. My dear friends, we are so grieved today in our own nations with all the gospel privileges that we have had and all the earthly blessings that have come with those gospel privileges, that we, as people so blessed by God, have now so turned away from God that there are many, indeed countless numbers, of poor, needy ones in our societies who hardly know that there is a God and that they have a never dying soul and they are the ones who are asking all these things where are we going to get what we need we don't have the money we had we want more we want higher wages better conditions we want everything that our hearts seek after because then we will be content then we will be happy. Then we will be blessed. You see, that's blindness. Living for the world. Thinking that tomorrow will be as today. And that more abundant. And what are they forgetting? Well, they're forgetting that we belong to a sinful race. When Adam sinned and fell, we sinned and fell with him. In his first transgression, we are guilty rebels. God has a controversy with us. And you see, by our sin, we have forfeited the right to anything of God's goodness. And we should think about that. We're here on mercy's ground. And perhaps we are such as uh, attend God's house and we do it more out of a sense of duty, obligation. It's not out of delight. And we can't wait perhaps really for the Sabbath day to come to its end and we can go back into the world and enjoy the things of the world again. And you see that's uh, ingratitude, that is uh, rebelliousness, that is, not to reckon with man's true condition and his plight since the fall. God will be just.
take us out of this world and into eternity. And he spared us. And we say there's a kindness in the Lord's dealings. A kindness in his providence. That he yet provides us from this cursed earth. With the good things that are needful for our lives here. The disciples should have been praising God and blessing his holy name for that marvelous loving kindness of God which is evident in the provision he has made for men's souls. That should have been first and foremost in their minds and in their hearts. They should have been willing to go with Christ, not asking these questions, not worried about these things. What a privilege to be a disciple and to be under the care of the Good Shepherd and being in Christ Jesus to know God's fatherly care all along life's journey. What provision has God made? In his marvelous loving kindness, he has provided a redeemer. He has sent one who has done a mighty work. Help was laid upon one who himself is mighty. Jesus Christ, God's eternal son. Christ was crucified through weakness took our nature, humbled himself, and died that death on the cross for sin. The sinless one, crucified in the place of guilty and hell-deserving ones. And here is the abundance of God's mercy and grace. A saviour provided for Jew and Gentile. For all who know themselves to be unfit for God. And wholly unworthy of any of the Lord's kindness. Not worthy even of the least of all his mercies. But the Lord in his love has provided a redeemer. Sometimes there can be questions the Lord's people have about God's dealings in providence and with themselves they may have a hard lot compared to those of the world who seem to live carefree trouble-free lives and you know that Psalm 73 was penned by Asaph out of that experience he was stumbled by these things when he thought about them and uh, his feet had almost slipped he'd almost given way to the temptation to join the world live as the world being a believer being a disciple is by no means an easy thing it cannot be done in our own strength or wisdom but he went into the sanctuary of God and he was reminded there of the glorious 
spotless holiness of God and the perfect righteousness of God and the equity of all God's dealings and that though God may allot even to the wicked, the ungodly and the unbelieving plenty of this world's good, it is for this life only. And when a sinner dies outside of Christ, coming to their appointed end, they lose it all. They lose it all. And they go out into eternity. The soul returns to God who gave it. And there's only one thing for that sinner. Cast away and cast down into the everlasting fire of hell. Having received so much good from God. But were they ever thankful? Did they ever praise his name? Did they ever make use of these things for God and his glory? And God forbid that we who are Christ's disciples and who are walking with God should ever have that spirit. We know it is there, but may we recognize it. May we check it. May we ever be saying, the Lord is good to me. And if we can say that in the darkness and say that perhaps from the depths when we have been brought very low in divine providence, then that may be a token for us that the Lord has indeed entered into our lives, laid hold upon us, and through his dealings, he is working all things together for our good. And there will be a lifting up for those who are cast down. God's children should be thankful for every crumb they get from the Lord. We deserve none of it. It is good to cultivate this spirit of thankfulness to God in every situation. And we know that that is not easy. There will be times for the disciples themselves when they will be so hard-pressed in such dire straits, in such insuperable and impossible difficulties, that the very last thing they would think of doing would be to praise God. But his grace in them would prompt them and stir them to yet be thankful and still trusting in God, even at such times. We can think of Paul and Silas in the jail in Philippi, in prison, in chains, but their souls were free. There they were praising God, singing psalms of praise. They were praying to God. They were worshipping him, glorying in him, even in such a difficulty. If we have the Lord, we really have everything we need. Because with Christ, God gives us all that we truly need in this life. 
Sometimes it is difficult to discern the love of God in our providence. And there may even be the thought that rises up within us. How can God love me if this is what is happening to me? Have I not been faithful to him? Have I not been a servant to him? And then you are reminded that the measure of the love of God to you as a believer is the cross. That's how you measure the love of God. And when you look at the cross and the Christ of Calvary, when you consider what Christ undertook for your soul as a believer, or then you are left in no doubt concerning the love of God for you. It's as we have it in the Ephesians and chapter 3. When Paul bows the knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, he prays for the Ephesians that God would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. There are no dimensions to the love of God in Christ, except they be measured by eternity, infinity, immutability. And we cannot comprehend that love, even Heaven will not enable us to fully comprehend it. But we can apprehend it. We can know the reality of it. And we can, even here in this world, bask in the blessedness of the love of God in Jesus Christ. He loved me and gave himself for me. Poor sinful wretch that I was and am and shall be until I leave this world. Anxious disciples, worldly Gentiles, and then our heavenly Father. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. Food and drink and clothing and shelter and work and health, strength and all these things. All these things that are applicable to our sojourn here below. Christ, having given a certain rebuke to the disciples, is now giving them precious comfort. And the comfort is the knowledge of God's fatherly care. Your 
Heavenly Father. Yes, you may call God that, your Heavenly Father. Knoweth that ye have need of all these things. And when we read that, we are rebuked, are we not? Because so many times, and perhaps even in the present time, we have acted, or at least spoken, or at least thought, in such a way that we have betrayed the idea that God does not know. That somehow he is ignorant of our lot and our present portion and the afflictions we are bearing and the adversaries we are facing. No God, your heavenly Father, knoweth. He knows all that there is to know. Concerning his people. The disciples were called to forsake all. And to follow Christ. That was the reality of their calling. And that is a very challenging thing to do. Effectively to leave their employment. And so having no income of their own. In many respects, to leave their families and uh, to give themselves to this work, uh, the work ultimately of the Great Commission, and to go with Christ wherever Christ would go or send them. The fishermen among them would have no time for fishing. They were leaving that employment. Matthew, Levi, the tax collector, he would no longer be doing that. So they had to trust. Trust in the word of Christ. Trust in God for their earthly supply. And how God supplies. The Lord in his usual manner, in a form of parable, takes earthly things. And he points the disciples to these things. And he says, look at that. That's how God will take care of you. And more. He speaks of the birds of the air. In a sense, they trust in God. They'll be provided with. It's there. It's designed for their use. Well, just as the birds of the air trust in God, you must do the same. God knows the needs of the fowls of the air. He knows your need. Oh, he does. Christ uh, told the twelve that one sparrow, that tiny bird, would not fall to the ground without God, their father, and not a sparrow is forgotten by God. How much more does God watch over you, ye who are of more value by far than many sparrows? Christ himself was going to Calvary for the disciples. There he would prove his love to them and to his people that he is all in all, 
to his own. And now he is saying to them, even your earthly needs are taken care of. He would clothe, the Lord would clothe the disciples. He would see to it that they had even that. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That is the instruction, that is the principle which believers must act by. Not seek ye first your earthly need and to get worried and anxious about these things when they do not appear to be at hand or even on the horizon, not to be diverted from this thing. This is the great thing, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Well, God's kingdom is a righteous kingdom. You need righteousness to be in it. And that righteousness is the righteousness of Christ as the mediator. And let me ask you, do you have that righteousness as your righteousness? And if you say, how can I have Christ's righteousness as mine? Then the answer is the one we will always give, even as we preach the gospel. When you, as a sinner, defiled by your sin, and with no garment, no garment to enable you to be present at the wedding, the marriage supper of the Lamb, when you, with your filthy rags, put your trust in Jesus Christ and his perfect obedience and his righteousness as the Redeemer, then that garment is yours, a robe of righteousness to cover the sinner from head to toe and to cover all the sinner's sins. And that righteousness is the title to heaven. That's our entrance to heaven. But seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It's telling us that the citizens of the kingdom have a concern for personal righteousness in terms of their obedience to their Lord. If ye love me, keep my commandments. We're not saved by any righteousness of our own, but it is meet for those who are followers of Christ. It is fitting for them that they walk with Christ in the paths of righteousness. Christ had the Lord of God in his heart. Paul could say that he delighted in the Lord of God after the inner man. And all God's people have this concern and it is uppermost in their minds. 
to be living the life of sanctification. That takes all the grace of God. That is an ongoing conflict. And when you read of the disciples, and uh, we might say their failings, their shortcomings, as you do of all the godly everywhere in Scripture, the psalmist himself, in a sense it encourages you as a Christian. You will not find a believer in the word of God who is perfect might be said of Job that he was perfect, but that's not in the sense of absolute perfection, sinless perfection. It's just saying that he was a, a believer who had every grace. It was evident in his life that every grace was there, and one who was sincere and genuine. You can learn, even from Job, of the failings and shortcomings of believers. And so... The Christian may be encouraged to know that the disciples themselves have gone the same way as he now travels. And the same difficulties we encounter and deficiencies we show are there in the godly in Scripture to tell us that saving grace so precious does not perfect the sinner there and then. We have to be leaving behind the things that are already experienced in life. We have to be looking ahead and striving for it. And we have to be pressing toward the mark for the price of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And the very moment the believer in Christ leaves this world, it will indeed be absent from the body and present with the Lord. No more cares, anxieties. No more earthly needs. The Lord provided. Jehovah Jireh saw the need, your need, my need. And even as we made it known to him, as he desires us to, we saw his fatherly hand. And we had all that we required. We were never forsaken. Although at times it might have felt as though we were. The Lord was ever with us. And he led us onward and upward. Until he gave us that entrance into the heavenly glory. Our Father knows our need. And do we know that our Father knows our need? We should. And if we do, let us live and serve and even speak and even think along those lines with a trusting spirit and thankful to God when we see his provision and praising him 
for that which we never deserved, but he freely bestowed. May the Lord bless his word. Let us pray. O Lord, our God, we pray that thou wilt graciously apply these things to us. And we do ask for that greater ability to trust in thee as we enter into situations which are trying, as we, looking ahead with our limited vision, see all manner of difficulties and obstacles in our path, that we would know that thou art indeed watching over us body and soul, and that thou wilt find a way through, and thy hand will guide and keep, and we will know all that we require coming from thyself in a fatherly way to suit our need and to enable us to continue here below as thy witnesses. Remember us, each one, and take away our sin for Jesus' sake. Amen.